You are listening to The State of Sustainability, a podcast that highlights sustainability initiatives throughout the state and develops a casual conversation about environmental stewardship that the average person can understand and replicate. I'm your host, Caleb Powell. And I'm your co-host, Ashley Cabrera. So today on the pod, we are going to be highlighting a really, really cool place. It's a tourist attraction. Um, it's called Ruby Falls, and it's in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And, of course, you know what we're going to be highlighting, the efforts that they have going on there over the past 15 years um, to be more sustainable. Uh, you know, we're sort of in the trend of talking about sustainable travel. That was last month's uh, podcast. And sustainable um, um you know, uh, in sustainable travel is more like sustainable hospitality. So what better way to sort of make the next podcast than talk about an actual place you can visit? Yeah, I'm actually really excited to learn more because I've actually never been to Ruby Falls. I've passed it while in Chattanooga or as I've been passing through Chattanooga traveling, but I've never stopped. Yeah, and so if you don't know what Ruby Falls is, it's sort of, we're going to get into this in the episode, um, getting to talk to uh, our guest, Hugh, and, um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've probably been to Ruby Falls eight to ten times in my t- entire life. I lived in Chattanooga for a little while, and so it was something fun to do, and, and you know, it's, it's one of one uh, of its type. Uh, and if you're unaware of what Ruby Falls is, it's actually a huge, I think it's over 100 feet waterfall that's actually in a cave in um, mm-hmm. in Lookout Mountain. So um, something that's you, you can't you can only see in one place, and it's it's in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So um, excited to talk more about that, and then just what you know, being a venue, being a place that has a lot of tourists. It can be hard. It can be hard to be sustainable. Yeah. You've got it's all. I mean, when you're running a business, it's about making money, you know. And but Ashley and I talk all the time on all these episodes about if you change your mindset and realize that being sustainable, using less, actually means you can make more money. So um, excited to hear from Hugh. He uh, is the president and CEO of Ruby Falls and. Um, I think we've got a really good episode coming up for you guys. All right, today on the pod, we are going to be highlighting the sustainability efforts at Ruby Falls in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So I would like to introduce our guest today, Hugh Morrow. How are you doing today, Hugh? Doing fantastic. It's a beautiful day in southeast Tennessee. Definitely. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm here in Murfreesboro, not too far from you, about an hour and a half, uh, but... Yeah, I, on my lunch break today, went out, sat on the the, the deck, and has just just been enjoying the uh, the beautiful weather. I we could use some rain. I won't lie, we could use some rain, but um, but yeah, absolutely beautiful. So what I wanted to do is before we start to talk about the sustainability efforts at Ruby Falls, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about Hugh, um, our guest. So Hugh Morrow joined Ruby Falls as their president and CEO in 2007. Over the last five years, Morrow's oversight has been responsible for innovations in guest experiences, facilities, and sustainability at the Chattanooga attraction. Uh, During his tenure at Ruby Falls, Morrow has seen the launch of land use planning, renewable energy, waste reduction, water conservation, and air quality initiatives. Basically, if you're thinking sustainability, uh, Hugh has has seen those initiatives come um, in his 
in his time uh, over the last 15 years. Uh, in 2017, uh, he was named the Sustainability Professional of the Year by Building Recognition in Chattanooga. Um, that's an awards, it's BRIC, um, and he currently serves on eight different boards in the tourism, caves, and hospitality industries. Um, and then also in 2018, he was named Tennessee Tourism Leader of the Year. So we have a powerhouse guest with us today. Very excited to have you on here, Hugh. Um, and really excited to hear about the great things that are going on at Ruby Falls. Well, thank you. We we try to do things the right way, and um, it's a it's a journey, not a destination. So uh, every day um, gives us a new opportunity to operate in a more sustainable way. Yeah, for sure. Um, so before we get up into a question, so we wanted to focus on the main five environmental areas that Ruby Falls initiatives follow. Uh, we also like to make a connection of how visitors can help with y'all's initiatives as well, so that because that's really important. Um, so Caleb, if you want to uh, kick us off and start with the first question for you. Definitely. Um... So, you know, if, if someone goes to your website and looks, there's a whole tab on the different sustainability initiatives that you have going on. Um, can you just sort of tell us the um, overall when sustainability became a topic of interest at Ruby Falls? Like to, to the point where um, taking action in your everyday operations became something that, you know, you guys do. Yes, it was. I, I remember the day very well. I was in a, a seminar in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I just filled my car up in 2008 uh, with $5 gas, and in some cases, gas was not available. And they were talking about um, energy cost, you know, going 3x, 4x, 5x um, very soon as far as. Um, electricity was going and I and I remember sitting there thinking to myself that you know that is our second largest um, expense other than direct labor um, we do operate a cavern so we have to light it and and they were talking about uh, uh, value-based pricing so that if you use uh, power during the during the night uh, when nobody else was when everybody else was sleeping you could probably buy it cheaper than during the day. And I'm like, well, you know, we can't, uh, we can't tell people only to come visit us at 3 a.m. in the morning. So I, I realized driving back from that, that seminar, that if we didn't change our ways um, and start conserving uh, energy, uh, it was, it was going to really be a difficult thing for us. So we launched, um, a process um, called different shades of green uh, because I, I said earlier this is a journey not a destination and we uh, pulled uh, 10 of our key people together and we came together with a uh, hundred initiatives on what we wanted to do on the environmental side of it and one of those um, was the first thing to do was to create renewable energy and to cut our energy use um, in the cavern. So uh, we set forward with, I, I, I remember it so well, the first LED bulb that I bought was $59. I'll, I'll never forget it because now you can buy the same bulb for you know, 5 or $6. Uh, 
And so it was so strange and so new and so hard to get a hold of. But we knew that if we took the 600 incandescent bulbs we had in the cave and got them into a better uh, product, that we could cut our uh, electricity use in the cave. And then we invested in a solar array, which is on the rooftop of our buildings. And that particular program offset about 12 to 14 weeks of the power we were using in the cave. So that's kind of how it all got started. And then we started just checking off those initiatives that we had created in the beginning. Kind of a long answer to a short question. <laughs> no, uh, no, it's definitely, I, I'm all about the details. I, I always appreciate in-depth um, <laughs> uh, conversations, but um, yeah, and that's crazy that the thing about how much LED bulbs were, um, I didn't actually realize um, that they were that much um, at like from the beginning. So, um, and that was if you could right. even get them. That was, that was the interesting thing. So. Yeah, I do remember. Um, yeah, my uh, growing up, my family wasn't exactly the um, the biggest, you know energy conservation this and this and this even though like it would have saved us money and so um it's something i've had to learn like in my you know adult years how to do that but um but no thank you for um you know telling us how it started off because that's really important to and really shows um you know what what started driving um y'all's you know journey to sustainability um, so let's jump. Let me give you an offshoot of that. It was really interesting. What happened was, as we got those bulbs changed out, and it took a while, um, all of a sudden you've got a, a light bulb that has 50 to 60,000 um, uh, hours of life versus light bulbs that had 800 mm-hmm. uh, hours of life. And so we had very, we have very few bulbs that now burn out so that our cave remains even more effectively lit so that people visiting it get a better experience. So there, there's all sorts of different um, positives from going to um, a more efficient program other than just conserving electricity. Yeah, for sure, definitely. Um, so going into you know those other aspects of sustainability, um, I wanted to start off with land use. Um, so I wanted to ask: so how does Ruby Falls maintain sustainable use of the land that your buildings are on when it comes to protecting like the natural environment around and then controlling runoff? Right. One of the things that that that's very important for those that have visited ruby falls you realize you go into a cavern on the way back to to view uh the waterfall and so we have uh lookout mountain drains um either through our basement through our cavern or across our parking lot because we're about halfway up lookout mountain so we do have a lot of issues with that and so we, we can't reconstruct uh, the cavern. It's there. It's just probably just as it was the day it was discovered. But above ground, um, we went through, starting in 2017, 
uh, and that we had to add space because of the crowds we were getting. So we um, built uh, a kind of a ledge in the side of Lookout Mountain and used that as the foundation of the building uh, versus stair-stepping stair buildings up a hill like so many people do. Um, we kind of scooped out the mountain so that we would do um, use as little of the ground as possible, so to speak. Um, we also installed um, two large tanks in front of the building that collect all the runoff of the building, um, which we use for irrigation at a later date. So it is filtered, and then and then we use it um, um, again for irrigation. So there's a lot of thought process going into not disturbing as much of the land as possible. However, we we've only got 12 acres here, and we have over a half a million visitors. So we've got to be uh, diligent in how we um, onboard those people once they park, come into the building, and, and go forth. So um, that's kind of how we did it. Um, it was a labor of love. <laughs> Not exactly the easiest way to do it, um, but we are quite um, focused as we as we do any ex expansion. Uh, another great example was we put in an aerial adventure course uh, back in 2009 and 2010, um, and we had to have put platforms in the trees. We used a, a platform that basically was squeezed into the tree versus being drilled into the tree um, so that when we removed all that a few years ago because we upgraded into another type of aerial uh, course, none of the trees were damaged so um just we think through those things as we as we try to create new and innovative things for our guests to do wow that's you know that's something that i never really thought of when you think of land use and like you know being on top of the ground you know and you think about runoff there you never think about you know if you've got a cave you know, so you, not only do you have like the surface runoff, but you've also got like when it does go into the ground, then it's a, not an issue, but like it's something else to think about. So that's that's just something that I've never really thought about, like sort of keeping up a cave or a cavern. Um, I can only imagine the the issues. Yeah, our cavern and, does flood, and when we have uh, heavy rains over a short period of time. Uh, we we can have uh, flooding in the walkways and the pathways and the streams, um, two hundred fifty feet below ground. That's terrifying. That's that's night that's nightmare fuel for me being in a cavern as it's flooding. <laughs> um, we'll take care of you. <laughs> um, so I wanted to jump into sort of being. We talked a couple months ago about you know, sustainable travel and like sustainable hospitality when you're going and, you know, you guys have lots of guests that are coming in, you, um, from all over, they're traveling and, and using your facilities and buying things and eating and creating trash. And so, um, I wanted to talk about the waste reduction, um, initiatives that you guys have, uh, what, like what items do you currently recycle? And then how do you go about minimizing the amount of waste that you aren't able to recycle and have to, you know, send to the landfill. One of the things that, that I keep repeating is this is a journey. Um, 
and and so everything that we do we have to think through you know, the, the probability of will it create a lot of waste how are we going to deal with the waste what are we going to do um, uh, with that uh, the amount of people coming here are more uh, all the time and and we want to offer them more goods and services um, without filling up a landfill so I think the newest example that I can share with you is we we redesigned our cafe, which is located in the first floor of the historic Ruby Falls Castle, and it it's um, offers flatbread pizzas, sandwiches, salads. Um, we offer draft beer, um, uh, Coca Colas. Uh, all different things, uh, coffee products, different types of co- flavored coffees, and, and a whole um, uh, coffee bar like that, desserts, etc. Well, how are we going to package all that? Because it's uh, everything is is ordered via kiosk, and everything's online, um, and it's all pre-made except for the 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 pizzas. So what do we do? We got to serve it in something. So we worked with um, a group here in town to create all of the packaging, uh, pretty much so all the packaging. I'm gonna get be careful with absolutes that we that we put these products in are all compostable, and so we installed uh, receptacles to take all that, uh, and it is sent for um, composting. Uh, twice a week, so we try to reduce the, tr- the amount of trash that that is created in that cafe. Um, so the cups, the packaging, uh, the pizza boxes, everything is being composted, as well as the food waste um, as we go forward. So that's how we kind of approach things. Um, anything shipped into here, we're we're recycling all the uh, the cardboard that comes in, and there's quite a bit of that. Uh, and then we offer uh, recycling uh, at all of our, pretty much so all of our um, waste um, receptacles, and that is gathered and sent for recycling. But it, I mean, it goes deeper than that. It's it is uh, investing in uh, uh, computer equipment that we can um, scan uh, uh, items in that we need to share amongst ourselves versus making 12 copies and sending them out, that kind of thing. So uh, it's kind of moved into our culture over these past 13, 14 years um, so that we don't don't just waste for the sake of wasting. Um, uh, another good example, uh, I keep giving you more and more examples, is uh, we do a souvenir photo business. It's a huge part of our business because people want a photo of standing in front of the falls and 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 the photo with Chattanooga in the background. Um, we found over the years that people will buy that photo about three times as often if it's already printed and ready for them to take with them versus waiting to have it printed. And so we pre-print every photo and a lot of people think that's very wasteful, um, but most of them are sold first of all, and then the ones that aren't, we do recycle all of that paper. You know, that's something that I've never, you know, I thought when you go to amusement parks or, you know, on a cruise, you, it's very similar. Um, and you know, the, the best example I can have is whenever you go on a cruise ship, there's these, um, 
photographers going around and taking pictures of you, you know, with the beautiful backgrounds, right? When you get off the boat or, you know, at dinner when you're all dressed up and you can go and yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll honestly say that I'm more likely to buy the picture if it's already there, not them just come around and say, Hey, would you like us to print this for you? You know? So I get that, but I never, and so it's, it's good to know that at least with you, with Ruby Falls, that there is, those are being recycled, the ones that aren't sold. So that's something that I've always wondered um, in that type of business. Yeah, you can you can do it digitally, but nobody ever buy the pictures. So what do you do? <laughs> it's it's a it's a little bit of a conundrum. But you but you um, if you can take all that you create and recycle it and reuse it as best you can, that's um, the best route to go. And for sure, um, and y'all are so business, so that's, you know, you have to think about those, uh, I'm going to say, like, marketing technique, it is, but that does make sense. If something's already printed, I'm more likely to buy it than if I'm looking through the, like, digital photos of it, so that's, um, that's clever right there, because that's, I'm very frugal, but I would be more likely to buy something if it was already printed, so. (laughs) You get more cash to it quicker. Um, yes, true. <laughs> like, like the like the candy and the and the uh, checkout stand. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. Um, there's a few stores that are really good at that uh, Ross and Marshalls because it's very easy to want to. It's like, oh, I need this, and I, or this is great. It's right here, and I don't have to go back in the store. Um, yeah. So, but like Caleb said, it it's awesome to know that like if people don't buy those, that y'all uh, recycle them. So. Um, you know, being good stewards of what of what you're doing, so that's great. Um, going off of like reducing waste, uh, but kind of hopping on the like greenhouse gas emissions. When I was looking over uh, some of the things, um, I noticed that you do a lot to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. But um, could you just highlight just a few ways that you're doing it at your venue? Um, one of the things that that we did from the beginning. Uh, as we use alternative fuel vehicles um, and anything that was a high mileage vehicle. We have some vans around here that, that we don't drive, but several hundred miles a, a year because they never really leave the campus. Um, but the cars that we use that we travel in um, are, are mostly alternative uh, fuel vehicles. So that's that's one route we've gone. Uh, and then just our reduction in, in use of electricity, uh, we use um, about half the electricity in the cavern that we used to use uh, 15 years ago. So that's that's a, another positive, you know, as we as we go forward. Uh, we try to carpool uh, when we go places. Just just all the little things that that we that we ask of our people, and the, and it has become part of our culture here. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, like who can really say that they have um solar panels on their venue you know i mean like that's what a better way to reduce emissions than not using the you know the electricity at all uh you know from the the grid is what i'm saying so um like not having to have that electricity created at all so i mean that's in my opinion one of the the biggest actions or initiatives that that you can take is energy from from 
you know, renewables that that's in my eyes, that's one of the coolest and, and in, most innovative ways to, to tackle the greenhouse gas, um, emissions. So, um, and then, so I, and they show up for work every day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the neat part about it. So, you know, we, we laugh, uh, whenever I get with some of my, um, more astute, um, environmental friends, I always ask them, I said, should, should we go out and put 10 solar panels on every building or build these huge solar farms? And the answer is we need to have everybody participating, in my opinion. And uh, yes, the, the solar array we have is small, uh, but it's a great example. And, and several hundred thousand people a year are, are exposed to it. So they know that, that, that it's a, a process that works so maybe they'll go home and put them on their house yeah that's a great point like leading by example and showing that like we you know we can do it so can you um so i love that um and so i know we've just beat 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 sustainability uh in this uh, the topic of sustainability in in this episode but i wanted to sort of take a step out of that box and uh we wanted to just give you an opportunity to briefly touch on you know two or three of your top things that that you, you know, in your elevator speech that Ruby Falls has to offer. I know you, t- you already mentioned um, a, a, a majority of the things, but, but if you, you know, if somebody had never heard of Ruby Falls, what, what would you tell them that, that, that your venue and, and that, that your programs and, and things have to offer? I think that and people ask me why I work here, and I, I think it's because it's it's so unique. And um, and simply put, if you want to take a 260-foot elevator ride into a mountain, walk 2,000-plus feet back into that mountain, stand 1,100 feet underground and, and, and view a, a waterfall, uh, a substantial waterfall that's 100 feet plus, um, there's only one place in the world to do it, and that's here. And so that, that to me, is the unique part of it, and that's what makes our attraction generational in that uh, the grandparents bring the grandkids back, the parents bring the kids back. We, we have people come through here, here daily that say, I came here in 1952 on my honeymoon or and I just want to see what it's like. And the neatest part about it, other than the new technology like um, LED lighting and, and better audio and, and uh, you know, better videos that we show that tell the story and all that stuff that's come with time, the cave itself is the same, and which is nice because that, that helps you understand the, um, the uniqueness of it and 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 it's authentic and and that you come back and see that over and over again so that's my that's my elevator talk um it is unique um it can be built it can be duplicated and so come enjoy something that's extremely unique absolutely yeah and it's funny because you know i didn't realize that 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 was like the only place in the world that you could could do that it makes sense because i've never seen anything else like it you know i've probably been to, to ruby falls 10 times my whole life just like you said my grandparents they, they talked about going um when they were younger and so 
I've been with each set of my grandparents. I used to live in Chattanooga for a little while, so um, anybody would come into town and hang out with me, we'd go and check out Ruby Falls. I mean, it's just, and you know, it's funny because every time I, I've been, you know, like you said, nothing's really changed except for, you know, some of the amenities that you guys have, but that doesn't mean that I don't want to go back and see it again. You know, I mean, it's just, it's you know, like, why do people go to a zoo and see the same animals that they've always seen? Because it's something that you can't, see everywhere you know and so um yeah and so i I, if i'm having a bad day i'll go there and walk out to the falls with a group and you know you watch a five or six year old grab their parents leg and go wow and point up at the waterfall and that kind of makes your day (laughs) i make it it really is because you know they're experiencing something probably never forget i mean i i um I met somebody out in Tucson uh, a while back, and they were like, I came to Chattanooga. I said, yeah. And he said, well, we went to this cave, and you walked to the back of it, and there was a waterfall. And I've forgotten what the name of it is. <laughs> I said, well, that's where I work. <laughs> um, so it's, it, is a, it is unique, in it, and you just don't forget it. So that's, that's the neat part about it. Um, and... And it's and it's naturally made, so that's that's really cool. And, and I think the the story around it with with um, Leo Lambert who discovered it, naming it after his his girlfriend at the time or his wife at the time, and um, whose name was Ruby, and and all that that came together um, with that. If 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 he had um, excavated the elevator shaft. 20 feet to the left or the right, he would have missed this cave. It'd still be there today, undiscovered. Wow, it's it's pretty unique. It's very unique. And I I, I truly learn something different about Ruby Falls every time I talk to you, Hugh, and it's just, it's so awesome. Uh, And unfortunately, uh, Ashley's never been, so we're going to have to make a trip down to Chattanooga and, uh, and, you know, maybe have lunch with you and and show Ashley what, what she's been missing out on for so long. Uh, we'll, we'll do that, and next we'll get through uh, lunch, we'll compost all the packaging. How about that? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> hey, I'm all about that. Yes, I really, I've been to Chattanooga so many times and passed through so many times, and I'm always like, we should go there, but we just don't. So, uh, and I think my kids would love it too, so. Oh, come on. Well, you. Uh, I would get, we're a little busy today, but I'd, I'd come come anytime you want to. <laughs> Hugh, I, I just wanted to say um, it's so important to us that you took time to to talk about Ruby Falls. I know it's it's your baby. It's uh you know you've been literally putting in so much work over um, you know the the time that you've been there since two thousand and seven, and you know it. it it's shown. I mean, if you had, like you said, you take somebody that, that has been there, you know, way back when, uh, and that you take them there today, they can, you can see how much effort you've put into making it, um, you know, such an experience and doing so in a way that it's, you know, from that meeting that you, that you went to in Knoxville, you know, you heard the energy prices and, and it really just started that thought process, which we, we need everyone to sort of need that, that, that seminar that you went to. Maybe everyone needs to go to some sort of, you know, similar seminar to get that, that light bulb, uh, 
um, lit up in their in their brain to you know. And I love how you said it that it's not the destination; it's the it's the journey. You know, because there's no good answer or one answer to being sustainable. There's so many different variables, and it all has to do with where you are, your actual environment and what you can do. And as long as you've got that thought process, which clearly you do, um, there, there will be change. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for all that you do and, and being the great example that you, you are in the, the sector that you, that you, um, your, your venue sort of falls in. Well, I think I, I work very closely with TDEC and I, I work with TDOT and I work with Tennessee Tourist Development. Um, uh, the list goes on and on and and each one of your departments do so many great things for our state and we appreciate it and and part of this when we first got into it um, was first development and PDAC working together and through the state parks and doing some other things that were very uh, inspirational uh, from a sustainability point of view so uh, Y'all set a great example too, and providing information to, for us because there are a lot of business owners that get get really scared of sustainable initiatives. You know, how much is it going to cost me? Uh, can I really make a difference? Is it going to change my business model? And you just got to get them started at this, and they will find that not only is it environmentally important, it it'll become economically important to them as well. Couldn't have said it better myself. Well, Hugh, have a great rest of the day. Have a good week, and uh, we will be talking to you soon. Next time I come to Chattanooga, I'll text you, and uh, hopefully I can stop by because it's been a while since I've been to, to the falls. We would love to host you. Y'all have a great afternoon. You too. The Ranger Report, brought to you by the Tennessee State Parks. Fun and adventure, naturally. All right, all right, all right. We finally are back with the Ranger Report. I know everyone has been missing um, our Ranger Report portion of the podcast, um, but we are very excited to to have Taylor Young here with us today. Taylor, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? Oh, we can't complain. Uh, I always say can't complain. Nobody listen if uh, if I did. So, um, <laughs> but my grandma always used to say that. But um, so today we are going to be highlighting Red Clay State Historic Park or Historic Area Historic Park. Um, and Taylor is a interpretive ranger. And so Taylor, if you want to go and just talk a little bit about um, your journey to Red Clay and you know what what your job title means, and yeah, just just dive deep into how you sort of got to where you are. Yeah, so I most certainly did not expect to end up where I am today, um, but again, I'm very thankful. Love it here. Um, so I was a biology major in college at Austin P. Um, I really thought I was going to be working at a zoo. I love animals. It only seemed natural, right? Um, I actually worked at the Chattanooga Zoo um, in 2019. Loved it. Um, then COVID hit, so I didn't work a summer. And then the summer of 2021, I actually um, became a seasonal here at Red Clay. And I was a bit intimidated because it's a historic park. I am a biology person. Um, so I felt very out of my depth, but really during that season, I came to love and appreciate the history of our park. Um, so I was a seasonal at Red Clay in 2021. Um, and then I went back to school in the fall, graduated in December, 
And I was very lucky because they wanted to hire me back here uh, for an AmeriCorps position. Um, so I was in AmeriCorps position um, here from February to May. And then literally April 30th, my last day here, May 1st was my first day of the seasonal at Fall Creek Falls State Park. Very different parks. One is a historic park, one is a recreational park, resort park. Um, I was at Fall Creek Falls until I was hired on full-time August 1st of this year here. So I've been here for going on a couple months. Um, what really drew me to here is at the zoo, I got a taste of environmental education and programming, and I really loved it. And I'm able to do that regularly working with Tennessee State Parks because that's one of the things we focus heavily on, we pride ourselves on, is quality programming. So the history part of working here is definitely a challenge sometimes, but I really enjoy weaving in my biology knowledge with a historic program. Wow, that's that's really cool. And, and it's so intriguing to me how our park system just does such a good job at, you know, that merger of history and mm-hmm. uh, flora and fauna, you know, like the, the biology aspects of, of, you know, our natural areas. But, you know, I just, I've been to many, many different state parks around the U.S. and I just I'm very biased born and raised here in Tennessee and I you know work for the state but I I truly can say that we offer so much and you know right there you just hit the nail on the head by talking about that merger of you know um, how you can have a biology background and still thrive especially thrive in our state park so um number one just want to say thanks for all that you do for the state parks and um and, and thanks for sort of showing that that where you came from and you know that you didn't think that, that, that this is where you were going to end up but um and so if, if you're listening and you, and you and you don't know what you want to do you love being outside you love history you love the biology um aspect of um you know just being outside look into our state park system we've got a great team um and, you know, so I hope that this, these ranger reports sort of show that and uh, make people want to visit more of our state parks if they haven't. So, um, talked a little bit about you. Great, great to, to meet you, I guess, virtually. Um, let's talk a little bit about the history of the park. So, when did Red Clay become an actual state park? So Red Clay was established as a state park in 1979. Um, so it's been it's been here a while. Um, definitely not the oldest state park, that's for sure. Um, that's actually Harrison Bay, fun fact. Um, and Red Clay, so what makes Red Clay special is Red Clay was the last site of the Cherokee People's Council prior to their forced removal on the Trail of Tears. Um, they actually held 11 council meetings here at Red Clay between 1832 and 1838. Oh, wow. I, see, and I tell you, every time I do one of these ranger reports, I feel like I know the state parks so well until I, I do these and I get to talk to, you know, our rangers that, that live and breathe the history. Um, so that's, that's really something cool. I didn't, I didn't realize that. Yeah, I like, uh, that's one of the biggest things I like, like born and raised in Tennessee and I have a lot of Cherokee uh you know heritage like background in my family and so that's one of like the things i really like about state parks is it's helping to 
um, preserve that history and tell people about it. And that's really important. Yeah. And it's, it's a way, in my opinion, to not only like, you know, like hear you hear, you know, you're in history class and you hear all these stories and, but, but the state parks are a place that you can actually go see the history, you know? Um, and so, and so uh, you might've already touched on this. Uh, You talked about the history of it, uh, you know, so what was it before a state park? What was the area of red clay state park before it was a park? Yeah. So um, after the Cherokee people were forced off these lands in 1838, uh, it was actually lotteried off as agricultural land. So that means that all their original structures were destroyed in favor of working the land um, to grow crops and things such as that. Um, So from about, I don't know, 1838 on um, until about, say, like, I want to say the 1960s, it was heavy agricultural land. Um, so we don't often find any evidence of the Cherokee having been here. Uh, very rarely do we find anything because it was farmland. Um, and a lot of the families that lived here and worked these grounds, their descendants are still in the area. Wow. Yeah, I guess that's pretty crazy because, you know, I, I'm sure there would be a, a lot of, a lot more like historical artifacts and stuff like that if if it wasn't you know if it had been mm-hmm. better preserved i mean you know you can't shoulda woulda coulda you know but um exactly but what i want to get into is the actual park information we like to all of our listeners like to um hear about you know the park size whenever we talk uh, or for these ranger reports i like to put them in small medium large um and so where would you put red clay in those three categories. Um, and I guess what we usually go is like by land area or acreage. Uh, so what would you mm-hmm. characterize red clay? I would say red clay is definitely small. Um, we are only 263 acres. Um, we got a couple hiking trails, um, but overall our acreage is small comparatively. Definitely. So somebody that and you know I'll, I'll i'll admit it i actually have this is one of the state parks that i haven't been to um so gotta gotta get my pass my state park passport book out and and come visit but um if you if somebody's listening and has never been there like myself can you give a a, a pretty easy location if you're looking at the at the uh, map of tennessee can you give us an idea of where or sort of how to get there yeah so um Red Clay is right over the Tennessee-Georgia border. Um, We're at the very, very south bottom part of Bradley County, and we border Whitfield County, Georgia. Oh, okay. And so, essentially, you guys are, what, the southernmost state park? or Probably. We actually do have some. Part of our property is technically in Georgia, I think. Oh, wow. Um. And so you mentioned before, or a little earlier, about some hiking trails, but what other types of park activities do you guys offer? So, um, we've got, we try to offer a breadth of programs like a lot of other state parks do, um, but what's special about us is that as part of our mission, all our programs revolve around 18th and 19th century Cherokee history and culture. Um, So that could look like, for example, simply a park tour, um, hitting all the high points of our park. Um, We like to do um, 
One of the programs we're more known for is our traditional Cherokee weapons demonstration. Uh, we do those for school groups. We do those just impromptu or we schedule them sometimes. Um, those are always fun because visitors do get an opportunity to try out the blowgun. Um, we also do Cherokee games. And another thing um, I've started doing recently is Cherokee medicinal plant hikes. Um, but those spots that you would see on our tour, that's where sort of make us unique. Um, include the Eternal Flame, which is a memorial built by the Cherokee people um, in honor of those Cherokee folks that lost their lives on the Trail of Tears, um, as well as it honors the events that happened at Red Clay leading up to the Trail of Tears. Um, probably what we're most known for, though, is our Blue Hole Spring. Um, so I will say you cannot swim in it. It is a protected natural site. Um, again, preserve and protect in perpetuity. So we want other people to be able to enjoy it in the future. Um, but it is very much blue. Um, it's a gorgeous little um, ground-fed spring. Um, it's just a it's a nice little site of importance, not only to the environment and for us to enjoy, but it has spiritual importance to the Cherokee as well as cultural significance. Um, and we also have several replica structures, um, including a um, replica council house as well as a replica farmstead. Um, and excitingly, good news to share with everybody, um, we're actually getting a period correct blacksmith shop um, within hopefully the next few months. So one of our rangers, Logan, he actually blacksmiths, so it will be fully functional. And we're actually wanting to work towards living history days. So that's something to look forward to. Awesome. Um, wow. That's that's really, I, that's something that I, that interests me so much, uh, blacksmithing, just thinking about making tools and weapons, you know, with your bare hands, not j- them just being stamped okay. out. I mean, that's so interesting to me. And it, and everyone that's listening, you heard it here first. Get down to Red Clay in the next couple months. You might be able to be some of the first people to see uh, the blacksmithing. Um, so, and and I, I meant to mention this a little bit before, but you guys are a day-use park? Yeah, we're day-use only. Um, we do not offer camping. It's always good to, I always like to throw that in here just because if somebody's planning a trip, of course, if you're planning a trip to a state park, make sure that you go to the Tennessee State Park website so that you can get all your information um, about that park, you know, what what you need to pack, what you need to be ready for um, before you go to those parks. We always will have that in our Instagram posts, a link to, to uh, well, every Ranger Report post has the link to that park in the post so but yeah that's something i'd say don't just listen to the ranger report and think you know everything about the park and everything you need to 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 know make sure you do your own research ahead of time but um and and do you guys do any type of events or volunteer opportunities i know you talked about the 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 ranger led activities and the historic um, programming that you have but any type of volunteer activities or upcoming events uh, that anybody needs to know about yeah, so we've actually got a couple. Um, we have our biggest event of the year. Um, this is actually the first time we've been able to have it in three years due to COVID. Um, but we'll be having the Cherokee Cultural Celebration November 12th and 13th. Um, that is all Cherokee performers, speakers, artisans, food vendors, all that good stuff. So it's a really good opportunity to get to know the Cherokee culture, get to know those people, talk to them firsthand, um, and really immerse yourself in it. And um, that's here at Red Clay. Um, It's 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And it's $5 per vehicle. 
We've also got coming up on December 11th, we've got our Christmas program, simply called Christmas at Red Clay. Um, you can just see the park through a different lens. Um, we talk a lot about how um, the Cherokee folks were influenced by um, the Moravians, who were missionaries. And you get to take a lantern-lit tour of the park after dark, um, led by a guide who is pretty much straight out of the 19th century. Um, and at the end, you get a sweet treat if you participate. So it's always a good time. Um, hopefully, we'll have more activities going on this year with it. Um, still trying to decide that. But again, that's December 11th, and I believe it is $3 per person. And it's recommended that you sign up online in advance for that one. Awesome. Yeah, we'll make sure that we link. Like I said, we always link each park for each ranger report just so um, quick access there. Um, you know, no, we know that you've got a lot uh, when it comes to the state parks. You, all of the rangers are very, very busy with uh, guests, especially this time of year. This is like, I feel like peak season to go and, and enjoy any of, I know summer is peak season really, but uh, when it's the, the weather's starting to break a little bit and the fall, fall changes, it's like, in my opinion, this is the best time to, to get out to our state park. So I know you got a lot of stuff on your on your plate. Um, wanted to just finish the ranger report with just any highlights that you have for, from Red Clay um, that have to do with sustainability. This is the State of Sustainability podcast, so we want to hear just a little bit of the things that you guys have going on at the park. So, yeah, we um, actually... Not our seasonal at the moment, Cord, um, and I have started waging war on some of the invasive species in the park. Uh, we take great joy in it, um, privet especially. If you're familiar with privet, um, I'm sorry. If you're not, I'm also sorry, but I'm going to teach you about it. Um, so privet is a shrub that was brought in to be ornamental, and it grows very fast and very tall and outcompetes a lot of native plants. And it's pretty ugly. I won't lie. It doesn't look like anything else around it. It's obnoxious, as most invasive species are. So we, we've had a couple of volunteer days to help pull some of it. Um, and actually, in two of the areas we've worked on, you weren't able to see through them before. But after we've gone in and removed a lot of the privet, you can actually see through the forest. So it's, it's hard to mark progress with that sort of thing, but it's still very pleasing to be able to see a visual difference um, after removing some of that privet. We also um, have recently swapped to using more eco-friendly cleaners. Um, we use washable towels instead of paper towels for cleaning. Um, and one thing that I'm really excited for is we've got three um, American chestnut saplings growing in the office right now. Um, and for those of you that aren't familiar, um, American chestnuts are heavily affected by chestnut blight. It's a fungus. Um, and most of the American chestnut trees right now in the United States are really, really small and they're unable to bear fruit. They typically don't grow large enough to actually be mature. So it's really exciting that, um, a very nice gentleman donated them to us. So they've been sort of my babies. Um, we have, we think some pretty good spots to plant them when it comes time. So hopefully, um, we can help propagate the species and, see an American chestnut actually grow up to be mature. So yeah, those are some of the exciting sustainability things we have going on right now. Wow, that's awesome. Taylor, thank you so much for taking time. I know, like I said before, your schedules are very busy um, at the state parks and you know, just with uh, the, the little highlight that you gave us today, 
it's it's very easy to see how much you guys have going on. We can't thank you enough for the time and effort you put into our natural areas here in the state. Um, and we just really appreciate you coming on. Well, thank you. Thank you guys for the opportunity to share more and get the word out there about the park. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and everyone that's listening, go visit Red Clay and uh, go see Taylor. I'm sure she'd love to, to tell you more. Yeah.